We turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We'll start reading in verse 14. And thank you, um, men and women, for your service for our country. And so fitting for the passage that we're reading of, of serving our country in those ways and honoring our government. Those. So let's read together Romans 12, um, starting in verse 14. Distribute the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as lieth in you, live peacefully with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject unto the the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whoso therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you that you are the one who puts governments in place. Father, though we look at the way that governments act and conduct themselves, and Father, we are not always in line with your word, but you still tell us to honor them and respect them. And thank you for their examples of, in the Bible, of people who respected authority who was not um, always good authority. Father, help us to be willing to submit our hearts and to submit to the authority in a way that is proper and knowing when we need to go against them because when they are violating your word. Father, I pray for the salvation of our our leaders, I pray for the salvation of um, Janet Mills and that she will come to know you and have a, um, a softening of her heart toward you. I pray for President Biden and for um, Vice President Harris that they will come to know you as well and that there will be a changed heart towards them, that they will be a, a humbling themselves before you. I pray for our Congress. Thank you, Father, for the ones that are in Congress who, um, and that do know you and are seeking to be a voice. For, um, for truth and for you. I pray that you will raise up more uh, will, uh, will, 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 
Yeah, his name right on. The will, of course, is Father, that will they'll stand up for what is right. They'll have a passion for um, for your word, and they'll stand upon truth and fight for that and in the right ways. Father, I pray to you for our local churches and particularly for um, Solid Rock Church and for Pastor um, Self that he will um, be drawing close to you, that he'll be strengthened with might in the inner man, that he will lead his church well, and that he will um, that there will be a shining light in our community. Um, and Father, I pray to you for the Harrison family as they walk through this challenging time. I pray for the doctor to have sealed hands, that you will put your head protection around Archer. I pray that they will be have to know your peace through this time, and that through that they will be a witness to the doctors and other people they come in contact with. And Father, may you use this mightily in their lives, to draw them closer to you, and to be a light to the people around them there in the hospital and back here. Thank you for their for them, and for what you're doing in through them. And Father, may we have open ears to hear, to listen to your word, and not just have the hear the audible sounds, but to be able to understand what your word is speaking to us individually. And Father, may we go and apply that in our lives. Father, may we be disciple makers who will go and make that will make more disciples and raise up a generation of people who walk after you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing and how you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. In your name we pray. Amen. Romans thirteen. Probably you and I, if you're like me, want to approach this passage with all the qualifications and objections we might have to this passage. But I want to ask you this morning, as we look into the Word, as this text is meant to impact us today, and not just the original audience, what could happen if we ignore this passage? What could happen if we ignore this passage? What would you say? What would you say? Some feedback on that. What would happen if we ignored this passage? More chaos than we got. More, okay, increased chaos. A poor testimony as Christians. It would hinder our witness, our mission, wouldn't it? What else? How many of you, this is your favorite passage in Scripture? Anything else that would happen if we ignored these words in Scripture? What would it cause? A bitterness. A bitterness against authorities. Maybe a hopelessness? Like God's not... In control? Let me ask you another question. Would you say in our culture that we are allergic to authority? (laughs) That we have a problem with authority? And that trickles into believers too, doesn't it? Trickles into believers. This is about authority, and I know we want to 
just a substitute government, and that is true in this sense, but this also, by extension, is, is any, anyone an, an authority over, over us here. Um, he's begun chapter 12 with the truth that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. So there's a surrender already, there's a submission already, but under the mercies of God. And then after that, he has described a living sacrifice life that loves God by loving our neighbors. Even, and he's kind of increased it, our own church, and then those who we have friction with in the church, and then our enemies even outside of the church, and now our public stance here as believers. Um, there's a good possibility that he's specifically referring to some situations in the early church there where Jewish believers who know the law, know the Torah, um, uh, in Romans chapter 14 and 15, we find out they, 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 they can tend to sit in judgment on those who might be the strong Christian community in Rome. And maybe, according to this passage, be tempted to resist taxes based, uh, that needed to be paid to Rome. Israel had a strong zealot thread that ran through them. In fact, even one of Jesus' disciples was known as a zealot. A zealot, who was that? It was a revolutionary trying to overthrow the Roman government. Simon, the zealot. Claudius had already kicked the Jews out of Rome. And then he and then he allowed them to return. So there might have been that chip on their shoulder. And Claudius also had some severe taxation laws that were coming into effect. And so the week here, the Jewish believers return to Rome and they find themselves not only having been displaced, but now the added problem of increased taxation here. And they probably weren't turning to physical violence or revolution or, or, or armed rebellion, but probably resisting something like taxes. <laughs> and God writes these words here, all framed in this section on 12, and he's going to pick up on verses 8 through 11 again, on proper love for neighbor. And so what we see here in these verses right off the bat is, number one, God has set up our authorities. God has set up our authorities. He says, let every soul, every person, be subject, be in submission to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, I want you to understand, Paul isn't writing this passage to try to answer all the questions we have in our current setting. But he's trying to get a point across. And the very first point is this. God sets up our authorities. I was kind of thinking of, trying to think of some ways to, to illustrate this, and <laughs> the best way I could come up with in my little mind was this. Um, Imagine a preschool daycare. And you have the people who are in charge of the preschool daycare and running it. And then you have the inmates. The preschools. The kids there at the daycare. And within that, 
within that daycare, there's all kinds of levels and stratas here of social influence in that little daycare. And people imposing their wills on other people in these little micro-society there of a preschool daycare. And within the confines, within the boundaries of those who are running the preschool daycare, they can kind of do what they want. But there are limits. There are limits here. And there are limits. God has set up the authorities. He is running this here. But he allows certain uh, freedoms here in certain ways that the, those authorities run things. And he doesn't put a thumbs up on everything that they do. But we can be assured of this, that God has set up our authorities. All authorities are under God. This has already been taught in Romans 9, where in Romans 9, verse 17, he quotes from Exodus 9, and he says, The scripture says to Pharaoh, even for the same purpose, have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Oh, is Pharaoh a good guy? No. And yet, here the scripture says that God was using that situation, that authority that he raised up, not to say, a, put a thumbs up on the Pharaoh, because he judges Pharaoh very harshly for his sin and rebellion against God, but so that his name, God's name, would be lifted high. Daniel's a good example of this, the book of Daniel. Three times in Daniel 4, the text says something to the effect that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. You can look this up in Daniel 4, verse 17, Daniel 4, 25, and Daniel 4, 32. And then when Nebuchadnezzar finally humbles himself after God humbles him, he responds to that and he says this about God. He says, I raised my eyes toward heaven. His sanity was restored, and he praised the Most High, the Most High. And he honored and glorified him who lives forever. He says, his dominion is an everlasting, eternal dominion. His kingdom reigns from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? And everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. That's at the end of Daniel chapter 4. I'll give you another example. Cyrus, the king of Persia, a pagan. In Isaiah 45.1, God calls that pagan king the Lord's anointed. Which is the same word he uses for Messiah. Jesus as the Messiah. And the point is, he's the one I'm setting apart to do something here. The authorities that exist are the ones that God has placed there according to his sovereign plan. Think about that for a minute. Yes, even the ones you didn't vote for or approve of. When Paul's writing this, Nero is on a trajectory that is going to go to just an extreme downward spiral here in corruption. Now, if you didn't believe these verses were true, you know how you would view our world as pretty hopeless. Pretty hopeless. When your guy didn't get in, that's the end of the world. When your guy got in, that's the best news you can hear, right? Pretty hopeless, though. Pretty limited. And so because God sets up our authorities, and all authorities are under God, then therefore, he says, put ourselves under their role. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. 
Don't resist the power. Um, those that resist it shall receive to themselves damnation, condemnation in verse 2. Here's his point. What do you mean by submission? Well, to submit means this. In your relationship to authorities, it means to, to recognize your subordinate place in the hierarchy. Recognize your subordinate place in the hierarchy established by God. It's to acknowledge that certain institutions or people have been placed over us and have a right to our respect and our deference. And the reason this is true is not because they are divorced from God. But the reason this is true is because God is supreme. Because he's the pinnacle. It's not just an end to itself. You know, just submit and obey the authorities just because. No, it's always in relation to God. Because God is supreme. God is the pinnacle. The gospel here undoubtedly declares that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. In fact, in Thessalonica, they were under persecution because the, the, uh, the, the accusation was they were saying Jesus is king and Caesar is not. But this statement has to be qualified here. Because Romans 13 makes it very clear that God endorses the establishment of political powers. And Paul is not suggesting divine approval of all that rulers do with their power. Right? Just as you who might be in a husband-wife relationship, you don't give blanket approval to everything that happens to your spouse, right? Or the choices they make here. We don't honor this shameful behavior of authorities. We honor everyone, but not in every way, is the point. We're going to put them ourselves under their role. Why? Because what he says in verse 2, to resist is to resist God, and it is to bring invite judgment upon yourself. That's a serious thing, isn't it? So that's the first point. The second is this. God sets up our authorities to praise good and punish evil. This is the reason he gives authorities to, to give a, a, a coherence to society, an order to society, and government in particular is to praise good and to punish evil. But he says in verse 3, For rulers are not a terror, a, 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 a motivation of fear to good works, but to the evil. Will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. Here's what he's saying. I want you to flip over to 1 Peter 2 to see how Peter phrases this idea. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13 and 14. Let me just encourage you to... If you uh, have a, a paper Bible. Um, it's very helpful to see the pages on a paper Bible. Um, there's just, just, just something different about a paper Bible. I know God's Word is God's Word on a, on a screen as much as it is uh, in a paper Bible. When you're able to flip through a paper Bible, you're able to see all the other verses in the context and, and the book. And it's, it, I, I think it's a, it's a good habit to, to actually bring a, a physical Bible here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14, he has said this in verse 12, having your manner of life with, it, with, it, with a, a sense of integrity among unbelievers, so that while they might accuse you of bad, they may, by your good works, be, have, not have very much um, uh, uh, clout in what they're saying, because your, your life outweighs what they're saying. And he says this in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance or institution of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or to governors as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, 
and for the praise of them that do well. That's very what he said in Romans 13, isn't it? That the purpose of government is to praise good and to punish evil. That's the purpose of government. That's what he says here in 2, 13 and 14. And flip over to chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. But let none of you, 4.15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Don't, don't let that be said of you or happen. But verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian. It's one of the very first times that we're Christians used in the Bible. Which means that the title of little Christ had become a common occurrence by now. If any of you suffer as a representative of Christ, a little Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. God has set up our authorities to praise good and punish evil. So we are then to do what is good. Do what is good. Now we hear that and say, okay, I'm supposed to do what's good. Whatever that means. But here's what that meant in that context. And in that Roman context here, someone who did good and was recognized by the community of good was called what's... Uh, was called a benefactor. They were benefactors to society. So, if they had means, they might do something for the city, or do something for the town. Um, they might do something to help with the road situation. They might do something to help with the education system. They, they, were, they were trying to make their society better. And so the government would see that, and they would recognize that, and they would give them an honor. An honor in front of, in front of, the, uh, in front of the, the, the city here. They were benefactors. You would say they're, they're patrons. They, may, they would give gifts uh, to others uh, that, that uh, was good for the common good, good works that benefited the city. And what Paul's saying here as Christians, as believers, is this. We of all people should be benefactors. Because our authority isn't just the city and public recognition, but it's God who's put us in these places, in these cities, and our praise comes from God, ultimately. So, our praise is, is ultimately not from man, but from God. And we should do works that are public good. That are good. This is expected here in our relationship as citizens. Verse 3, will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. Here. Uh, and there's an expectation, even, that local unsaved officials would recognize even the good works of a Christian in their society. That they're noticed here. Doing what's honorable in the sight of all. Why? Just to get a pat on the back? How shallow? No! Because our allegiance is to Christ. That is the reason. That is the reason. And we're to be honorable people and exercise our duties as citizens and not just live our religion in a private in our private homes. It's supposed to impact our societies, to let our lights shine. Now the other thing, the opposite is true. If governments are authorities to praise good and punish evil, so we're to do what is good, then we should also be afraid to do what is evil. Also be afraid to do what is evil. But that's not enough. I could have anyone come in here and say you should be afraid to break the law. You know, don't speed because you'll get pulled over, kind of a thing, right? Anybody can say, well, what makes this specifically Christian? Notice this next part of what he says. 
Verse 4, to expand on this idea of the role of, of authorities and governors and government, for he is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. He's been given this authority by God to punish evil. For he is the minister of God, or avenger, to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but what? And here's what makes us Christians, also for conscience sake. What is he doing? He's tying that back to our relationship to God. He's saying, just don't, 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 uh, don't be a good person just so you don't get punished. Yeah, that's one of the motivations, right? Unbelievers can do that. But here, he's bringing it back to our ultimate allegiance again. Here. To keep a clear conscience before God. To keep a clear conscience before God. And so that brings us to our third point. Which maybe you never thought about it like this, but it's related to the other points here. If God set up our authorities, set up our authorities to praise good and punish evil, then thirdly, set up our authorities to be his servants. You might notice that word minister. You know that word is used of those who administer as the temple servants. It's the word that he speaks of as those who are ministers of the Lord. Have you ever thought about the government being a minister? <laughs> With that word, we usually have a certain connotation, right? You think of a pastor or something. But here's what he's saying. God's supreme government is his servant. Whether the, the, the most powerful man in the country or the world understands it or not, and their governmental authority, structure, and placement, they're actually servants of God. Which tells us a couple things, right? First of all, it reminds those who are shaking their face in God's word that they're nothing but a pawn in his hand, right? <laughs> he takes them and brings them low. But also reminds us of the proper relation that we have to them, doesn't it? So God set up our authorities to be his servants. So what does he say in relation to, them, to this stuff? Verse 5. For this cause, the fact that they are God's servants, God's ministers, for this cause, pay tribute also, your taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. They give your, their attention to the, to the order of society. That's their job. To punish evil, to praise good. That, that's their purpose. That's, that's the ideal here. And so therefore, we're to pay our taxes, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, that means fees uh, here, um, like a sales tax is what it would have been in Paul's day, and fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Here's what he's saying. God set for authorities to be his servants, so pay your taxes. <laughs> pay your taxes and fees. I don't think you need to pay more than your taxes necessarily. But you better not be lying on your taxes. And it also reframes the way that you pay your taxes to, yes, even wasteful government spending, doesn't it? Because that's, that is your concern as a citizen, and that's why you vote, that's why you have a voice. But at the same time, that doesn't need to govern you. There's a certain trust in these verses to God that's pushing us toward, isn't it? 
That's hard for us as Americans, isn't it? <laughs> We're born in revolution, right? This is in our DNA to push back, right? And we have been given certain channels to push back and we're to do so. That's one way to keep government accountable, right? To these ideals that God says is supposed to be done. And at the same time, there's something that's a little different for the believer too, isn't there? And how we relate and how we think about our government. And one is pay your taxes in peace. I think you have a right to Fight back against excessive taxes and fees. Right? To put that money toward God's kingdom in a certain sense. Be wise stewards. But notice what else he says at the end of verse 7. Not just the things you're handing physically here, but also render therefore, pay therefore, fear to whom fear, what's the idea of respect, and honor. To whom honor. So pay your respect and honor. Now I don't know about you, but usually my conversations about government are negative. When was the last time you had a positive conversation about government? You know that's a problem. If you were in a conversation with Jesus about government... Probably our conversations would be different than the normal griping we do. And you know why we gripe? Have you seen the good? Are you able to see the good? Yeah, we all, I know, we all got our list of things that we have problems with with our governments. Local, state, and national. I got my long list too. But you know what? I do not remember the last time I actually thanked them. Yeah, I know a lot of them are corrupt. <laughs> At the same time, the Bible tells me there, God's put there. So we're to see the good. One of the ways we did that here is thanking those who served through our government in the military. That's one way, right? So it's to give us an attitude of thankfulness and honor. See the good. Be thankful. Be thankful for the for the general order that we have in the country that we do take for granted. Okay. And now, what's the balance here, right? Well, this is what Paul said. Do you know that every text in Scripture is out of balance? And then other Scriptures help balance it. They're making a point, right? They don't give all the, everything in every single text here. They're getting a point across here. And Paul's point is, this needs to be the thing that, that, that's, to, to use his word here, governing you. <laughs> a subjection, a submission, putting yourself in that. Is there a balance? What do you do here? Well, here's what I want you to understand. When, when I explained submission, we explained it as, as putting ourselves, recognize our subordinate place in a hierarchy established by God. Um, and these authorities have the right to our respect and deference. But it's only because God is the pinnacle, the supreme one. And he's not saying divine approval of all that rulers do with power, and not honoring the shameful behavior of authorities and corruption. And we honor everyone, but not in every way, because absolute obedience is not required to honor these secondary authorities. 
Okay? If authorities order people to dishonor God, then we are not obliged to obey. Why? Because who's behind these authorities? The pinnacle of authority. And they are demanding greater honor that is owed to them, and we cannot give that. At the same time, we're to be respectful citizens, aren't we? I think of Jeremiah 29. The Israelites were taken captive, and God told them through Jeremiah that they were to be captive for 70 years. There is a movement among some false prophets that God had given them a word that they were to revolt against the Babylonians and have a revolution and free themselves. And God said, those are false words to those people there in, in, uh, in, in, in Babylon. And I told you, you're going to be here for 70 years. So here's the thing. You're going to like it. <laughs> They're going to do it and you're going to like it. And what he said is, what you need to do while you're in captivity in Babylon is you're to seek the good of Babylon. You're to be a good to the society. You're to be a blessing. You're to seek the welfare, the peace of the city. An example of this would have been someone like Daniel who served even in a wicked government and yet did it wisely when there were things that compromised what he knew to be right, he offered alternatives, such as the eating of the, of the in Daniel chapter 1, remember the young men taken to Babylon, said they had to eat certain meats, he said no, this is against um, the law, the Jew, and we're not allowed to do this, that God's given us, he offered an alternative, and God gave favor with that alternative, and God blessed them um, when he was uh, given the ultimatum of you are, you are not to uh, worship or pray to any god but, but the king uh, he opened his window and still praised to God, right? Okay. At the same time, he is seeking the good of Babylon, serving wisely as an advisor to the king. He's thrown the lion's den for his supreme allegiance to God. Think of the apostles in Acts chapter 5, preaching Christ. They're told that they, they told the authorities, the Sanhedrin council, that we must obey God rather than men. With this particular cease and desist order they've given them to stop preaching. Paul. Paul writes these words. Guess how Paul's life ends? Head chopped off. Because the government said that he was doing things that were against the government. That ought to tell us something, right? Here, Paul can walk this line, can't he? He can walk this line, even as a Jew. Paul was a zealous man. He was, he was zealous. He was a zealot before Christ. He wanted to overthrow the Romans, I'm sure. He wanted to kill one of his own Jewish people, Jesus, right? And then those who followed Jesus. Paul walks this line, even in his encounters, when he's accused of disrupting the empire here because of his work for Jesus. Um, he takes the punishment and then when they cross the line of things they weren't supposed to do to him as a Roman citizen, what does he do? He challenges that and says, I'm a Roman citizen. What are you doing? You can't do this even according to your own law. He challenges it. And when he appears before uh, uh, the, the, the governmental authorities like Felix and the others, He's giving them a defense of his ministry. 
He's saying, look, I'm obeying the laws of the land. I'm doing what is right. My conscience is clear. And I want you guys to come to Christ too. Is what he says. And he appeals to due process. When uh, the authorities said, all right, well, we'll dismiss this charge to a certain extent. Paul says, no, I'm going to go all the way to Caesar. I'm going to go to Rome, which was his right as a Roman citizen. He could do that. And he does. So he, 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 in his defense, he works within the system that he's in. But there's no better example of this, and I'm going to close with this, than Jesus. Before Pilate. In John chapter 19, Jesus is tried for treason against the government. And his accusers put it, in John 19 verse 12, he claimed to be a king. And Pilate sees through their accusations. He sees right through it. He, he, he sees what kind of kingdom Jesus is actually really talking about. And in John 18, 37, um, Jesus had responded to Pilate's question, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And that's good enough for Pilate. And he says... Okay, guys, why don't we release Barabbas instead? He's the real bad guy. And the Jewish authorities say, no, we want this guy. And, and the leaders of the people are, are clamoring for Jesus' death. It's, and they're putting pressure on Pilate. And Pilate's going to bow to their wishes because he doesn't have a necessary interest in this case. In one sense, in his human side, he wants to help Jesus. But Jesus isn't speaking to him. And so John 19 and verse 9, he went again to the judgment hall and says to Jesus, From where are you? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then says Pilate to him, Speak ye not to me? Know ye not that I have power to crucify you and have power to release you? I have authority on your life? And what does Jesus say? He says exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 13, where power and authority come from. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that delivered me to you is the greatest sin. If there's a passage that helps us understand the relationship of God, the relationship of, the, of, of believers to the government, it's this one here, isn't it? You could have no power at all against me except it were given you from above. And so here where you have authority issues here and need to repent and change, here's where your eyes need to focus on. You need to set your eye on that line where the king of kings, the pinnacle here of authority, and man's kingdom meet. You have the sovereign risen king and you have man's kingdom, right, that they think they're all behind, right? You set your eyes on the king to come. You set your eyes on the Lord Jesus here. In fact, the Lord Jesus, when he was being, when he was put on trial, when he was being persecuted, when he was suffering, First Peter tells us this at the end of chapter 2, he trusts his soul in the one who could hold it, his Father. Like these illustrations we gave before of people who worked within the system that they were given, 
right? Whatever that was, whether that was a tyranny, etc. Here, they worked within it. Here, here's what it's all going to come back down to: honor God above all else, even human institutions. Submit to authority since it's placed there by God. And here's what you got to figure out: individual conscience. When it is not possible to do both, to honor God above all else, even human institutions, and submit to authority since it's placed there by God, when it's not possible to do both, then expect to suffer for honoring God over human authority. And here's this truth in Romans 13 that Paul wants us to understand here is dual citizens. God's a supreme judge. And when he returns, all things will be made right. He's a supreme judge. So live as a dual citizen where, 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 uh, where you are a godly citizen on this earth. That the world is indeed better off through your existence. Because you're surrendered to the Lord. You're making an impact. You're representing. You're letting your light shine. So live life as a dual citizen where you're a godly citizen on this earth and under earthly authorities. And your heavenly citizenship outranks your earthly one. That's the balance he's calling us to here. Let's pray. Lord, this doesn't answer all of our intricate questions here, but it gives us guidelines and principles for how we're to relate to authorities. And so I pray that you would help us to focus on the things where our lives are not in line with your word here, and uh, help us to change according to your power, according to your grace in this. Lord, we know that the only reason um, a, a heart can follow your directives here is through the change that comes through the gospel. And thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sin and rebellion against his authority and gives us new life to submit to him, to come to him as our new saving king and rejoice in his government of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time we're going to sing and uh, respond in our hearts to the Lord and in his word and uh, then we're going to uh, take part in the and the Lord's Supper here together. So let's sing as well. <clears throat> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And it says, therefore, take out the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand in an evil day, having done all to stand. So as we sing, a mighty fortress is our God, let's think about, in light of what Pastor Jamie just shared, about submission to our government, and really we're submitting to our God. And that we are to stand against the evil and even the wickedness in our own hearts that we want to rebel against authority. But let's recognize that we need to be submitting ourselves to God. And as we think about God is our fortress and we are safe in Him. So let's stand together and sing a mighty fortress with our God.
next song we'll sing is Behold Our God. Isn't it wonderful how great a God that we have? And let's take that time to glory in the splendor of who He is.
guys may be seated. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ethan, for leading us to the Lord and pointing to the Lord here this morning. And, um, also, I don't think that was the first time doing songs for us, and I just appreciate you taking up that uh, that yoke there and and uh, really leading us well there to the Lord and Colby and, and Bell as well. And I was thinking of the last words of, um, of Matthew 28 there where Jesus commissions. And here really is the answer, right? This is, this, is, this is the razor edge here. Jesus has given us authority to make disciples. And he says, all authority has been given unto me. All power is the word authority. King of kings, Lord of lords is the risen, ascended king. Because he's been crucified, vindicated as the righteous one, and his work is finished and is complete. Now therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe everything that I've commanded you. So there's our commission, there's our task here, that cannot waver. That is owed to the supreme uh, God, the supreme King of kings and Lord of lords. There's our mission. There's our task. At the same time, we work within the governments that we've been given. Right? But this task does not change because it has been given by this one who has supreme authority, who has been set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where we're seated. And that's why we can then submit to that because that is such a small thing compared to the submission to the King of Kings, isn't it? So if you haven't yet, uh, go ahead.